American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello, and welcome to American Catholic History. If you like our podcast, be sure to rate us and give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Today we're talking about another story that we actually have touched personally. It's the story of the simple Capuchin friar, Father Solanus Casey, who was beatified on November 18, 2017, and whose beatification we were blessed to attend. Yes, it was a truly blessed event. And what an amazing man to honor. To consider Blessed Solanus Casey is to weep for joy that one so low should rise so high. Okay, so you're channeling an old Irish poem here. Well, I am. It's High and Low by James Cousins. But it's fitting considering Father Solanus's Irish heritage and the fact that the sentiment really applies. This was a man who was simplicity itself. And yet through his simplicity and the embrace of the small, he has likely risen to the greatest heights of the heavens. It's the theme we've talked about a few times in past episodes that to become truly what you are meant to be is to remain little and to do all things for love of God. Right. With Fray Antonio Margil de Jesus in episode 65, Sister Blandina in episodes 57 and 58, Father Vince Capadano in episode 53, Blessed Teresa Demjanovic in episode 32. And one of my favorites, Julia Greeley in episode 34. Right. And there are others we've talked about. The lesson constantly is do all things, even the small things, especially the small things, out of love of Christ and then trust in God's providence. If you remember this, there's no limit to the good you can accomplish, or rather, the good God can accomplish through you. And this sense of being little begins early in Solanus Casey's life. Yes, he was born Bernard Francis Casey in 1870, the sixth of 16 children. 10 boys, 6 girls. His Irish Catholic parents had come over from Ireland shortly after the Irish potato famine and eventually settled on a farm near Oak Grove, Wisconsin. Bernard, or Barney as he was known, contracted diphtheria when he was 8. The disease killed two of his siblings that year. Barney survived, but it affected his voice permanently, leaving it breathy and strained. It also gave him a high, squeaky singing voice, which his eventual confreres later in life did not appreciate. He had a good, solid Catholic upbringing, but he wasn't a great student. So when he left the farm, he moved from job to job around Wisconsin and Minnesota, working variously as a lumberjack, prison guard, hospital orderly, and as a streetcar operator in Superior, Wisconsin, which is on Lake Superior and is one of the westernmost ports in the Great Lakes. He even was looking to get married and had proposed to a girl, but her mother sent her away to boarding school to end it. And then everything changed for him while he was working that job as a streetcar operator. Yes, he witnessed a drunken sailor stab a woman to death. This traumatic event seemingly shook him from his complacency and forced him to reevaluate his life. He determined that he needed to do something to make the world better. What that thing was, was not a surprise. He enrolled in St. Francis de Sales Seminary to become a diocesan priest. He had always had a devotion to his daily rosary and a habit of prayer was instilled from an early age. He recalled his father calling the boys in at prayer time with, Prayer, boys, prayer. 
He also had felt the stirrings of a call to the priesthood when he was about 13 and was awed by Christmas Midnight Mass. What was slightly surprising here was that he was 21 when he enrolled, a bit older than typical seminarians in that day. But hey, sometimes it just takes guys longer to figure out what they really ought to do. I do. But Barney had a problem at St. Francis. He spoke only English while classes were in German and Latin. Since he already wasn't a stellar student, this language barrier made his studies very difficult. He lasted for a few years before the seminary professors suggested that he pursue a vocation to a religious order instead. So in 1896, he wrote to three orders seeking acceptance, the Capuchins, the Jesuits, and the Franciscans. All three responded with letters of welcome, so now he had a decision to make. And he did what any good Catholic does when an answer and guidance are desperately needed. He prayed a novena. He prayed a novena. He and his mother and his sister Ellen prayed a novena, which ended on the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception, December 8th, 1896. And as he received communion at Mass that day, he heard distinctly the Blessed Mother saying to him, Go to Detroit. Now, that's not usually the most heartwarming thing to hear said to you, but to Barney, it was literally the answer to prayer. Detroit meant the Capuchins because that was where they were headquartered. Barney wasted little time. He said his goodbyes, and on December 21st, he set off for Detroit in a fierce snowstorm. It took him three days to get to Detroit, arriving on Christmas Eve. Upon arriving at the monastery, he was exhausted and fell asleep. But he wasn't asleep through the night. He was awakened at midnight as the friars rang the bells and began the procession to the chapel for midnight mass. He would long talk about how joyous and peaceful a night that was. Less than a month later, on January 14, 1897, when he was 26 years old, he was clothed in the brown habit and the white rope cord of the Capuchins and given the name Francis Solanus after a 16th to 17th century Spanish Franciscan friar who was a missionary to South America and who died in 1610. One reason given for this naming was that Barney Casey and St. Francis Solanus both had a love of the violin. But the newly named Francis Solanus was known simply as Solanus from early in his time as a Capuchin because there was already another friar called Francis. Also, it's just a cool name. There are lots of Francises, but how many people do you know named Solanus? Well, probably more now since it's becoming a name for boys among Catholics. Good. And well, it should. Call him Sully for short. Anyhow, so Brother Solanus entered studies for the priesthood, but ran into a similar problem as before. Classes were in German and Latin. This time, however, there was an option. The order decided that Brother Solanus would be ordained, but he would just be a simplex priest. A simplex priest is a fully ordained priest, but he is not given faculties to preach on doctrine or to hear confessions except in emergency situations. Exactly. Things are done more generally and are less categorized nowadays after the 1983 Code of Canon Law. But at the time, after a priest was ordained, he had to be approved by his bishop to preach or to hear confessions. Offering mass and affecting transubstantiation are inherent in being ordained a priest. But preaching and hearing confessions are not. These are functions of teaching and instruction and connection to the keys, which is specific to the bishop. And so they must be specially delegated by the bishop. Even nowadays, priests still technically have to be given these faculties by their bishop, but both are just generally part of the process of being ordained. Not so back then. So when Brother Solanus was ordained in 1904, he was fully sacramentally ordained. He could offer mass, do all blessings, and had the full grace of the priesthood, but he was not permitted to preach at mass or hear confessions. But as Father Solanus showed, 
neither of these is necessary for a priest to lead souls to Christ. You're not kidding. Now, it's not that Brother Solanus was indifferent to this arrangement before he was ordained. He wanted the full faculties, but he accepted it as part of God's holy will, which he sought in all things. Newly ordained, Father Solanus was assigned to Sacred Heart Monastery and Parish in Yonkers, New York, just north of Manhattan. His status as a simplex priest was immediately an issue because the pastor couldn't just work him into the regular rotation of priests offering Mass and assisting with confessions. So to the pastor, what exactly this new priest was supposed to help out with wasn't immediately clear. But they found work for him. Father Solanus was set to tasks more generally left to lower-tier brothers. He was sacristan, took care of training the altar servers, and served as porter, which is the member of the community responsible for answering the doorbell, greeting people. For most friars, this would have been demeaning work. But Father Solanus took great pride in it. How could he begrudge the responsibility of taking care of the altar, training the servers who would assist at the holy sacrifice of the Mass, or greeting each soul seeking Christ at the monastery door? And it was in these roles, especially as porter, that Father Solanus's gifts really shined. Father Solanus would listen to people and hear their stories and woes and trials. He would sit with guests for however long it took for them to tell their story. He would offer a kindly smile, a willing and eager ear, and advice or encouragement from the heart of Christ. Over time, people would come back to see him for counsel, and those with medical worries would come to receive a blessing. Miraculous cures began to take place. Wives who had been barren suddenly conceived children. Tumors would disappear, sometimes on the eve of surgery. One person was cured of pneumonia after doctors had given them merely days to live. One of his main tools was a prayer group called the Seraphic Mass Association. This association was a group of Capuchin priests who all agreed to make a special offering in their prayers and at Mass for the intentions of all the other members of the association and those who requested Masses. We may do an episode entirely about this association and their support of missionary work. Father Solanus would help people fill out the application and intention card and discuss their plight with them as they did so. All members of the association had access to all of these prayers by virtue of the mutual agreement, and this arrangement led to many miraculous occurrences. After a time, the superior directed Father Solanus to begin keeping a record of the special favors granted as a result of his prayers and those of the Seraphic Mass Association. Another tool was his violin and his zeal for music. He would play his violin for anyone who would listen and sing for anyone whom he could corner. Right. His violin playing was fine enough, but as mentioned previously, his bout with diphtheria as a child left his singing voice high and squeaky, so his brother Friars would conspire to head off his singing, sometimes just turning up the radio or directing the conversation somewhere else. After 14 years in Yonkers, he was transferred to Our Lady of Sorrows Parish in Manhattan. Here he was not assigned to be porter, an arrangement which gave him more time to focus on overcoming some personal defects he had become aware of in himself. He recognized that he was too sensitive to criticism, had too great a capacity to rationalize his negative tendencies, and he had an insensitivity to the plight of the poor. He would ask people, pray for poor Father Solanus, who, like all poor sinners, needs the grace of God to be fully converted. In Manhattan, he went to work at the soup kitchen where he would serve the poor especially and come to know them. He was able to come to say truly that he had two loves, the poor and the sick. After just a few years, he was transferred to a parish in Harlem where he served for about a year before being reassigned back to the mother house in Detroit. Back in Detroit, he returned to the role of porter, a role which he would occupy for the next 21 years. 
And just as had happened in Yonkers, Father Solanus became the person thousands and thousands of people would come to see. He would sit down with them in the room near the front door and listen with heavenly patience and attentiveness and pray with them and bless them and send them off with encouragement and grace. Honestly, I'm reminded of the line in Charles Dickens's A Christmas Carol when Scrooge remarks to the ghost of Jacob Marley, but you were always a good man of business, Jacob. And Marley's ghost stammers in horror. Business? People should have been my business. Kindness, mercy, generosity should have been my business. These were manifestly Father Solanus's business. They really were. And that included when one particularly dangerous caller came knocking. It was the middle of the night and the doorbell awoke Father Solanus. A very drunk man was at the door and he demanded to see Father Solanus Casey, not knowing that he was talking to the man. Father Solanus asked him why he wished to see Father Solanus Casey. And the young man said, because I'm going to kill him. Father Solanus responded, well, that's something that should be discussed. And he led the young man into the study and got the story out of him. It turns out the young man was a communist and an atheist, and his mother had been to see Father Solanus, distraught by the condition of her son. And Father Solanus had, apparently, given her advice and prayers that the young man did not appreciate. So the young man was going to kill Father Solanus to end his influence over his mother. As could be expected, by the end of the interview, the young man had repented and left peacefully. Father Solanus would direct those who came to him to have faith, trust in God, and especially thank God ahead of time. Need to remember that. Yes. He would also give people directives of things to do to show their thanks to God, whether it was some spiritual reading, a donation to the poor, or other spiritual work. Father Solanus would remain porter at the monastery in Detroit until 1946, when his failing health necessitated his transfer to a monastery in Huntington, Indiana. He remained there dealing with a horribly painful case of eczema over his entire body. His body was racked with pain for years, but he never refused a collar. There was even one instance when the friar who received the caller at the door tried to protect Father Solanus from yet another caller, but the person insisted. The friar said that he would go ask Father Solanus if he was feeling up to a visitor, but everyone knew it was a mere formality. Father Solanus would never refuse to see a soul in need. See, there it is again. People were his business, and care of hearts was his business, and saving souls was his business. So as he was carrying his cross, battling his increasing health problems, all skin diseases of various sorts, he offered up his sufferings for all those for whom he had promised to pray. His skin conditions worsened into the 1950s until he was moved back to the mother house in Detroit so he would be closer to better medical facilities. Toward the end, his eczema had worsened to erysipelas, an incredibly painful inflammation of the skin, which could advance to lymph node problems and even death, as was eventually the case with Father Solanus. As a nice bookend to his life as a capuchin, Father Solanus, as pain-riddled as he was, was heard by a novice on his final Christmas night playing his violin and singing carols to the Christ child in the monastery chapel. 60 years after that first memorable Christmas night. Father Solanus Casey prayed constantly that he would be alert in his last minutes before he died. And almost as a final answer to his most ardent prayer, on July 31st, 1957, he regained lucidity for a short while, just long enough to sit up, stretch out his arms, and say, I give my soul to Jesus Christ, before expiring. 
In the three days after his death, more than 20,000 persons filed past his casket to pay final respects, to touch their rosary or other holy objects to his casket, and to seek his intercession. And his intercession was no less powerful after death than it had been in life. Countless miracles have been attributed to his intercession. People continue to be his business. To this day, notes with prayer intentions are written on slips of paper and tossed onto his sarcophagus. The Father Solanus Casey Guild was established in 1964 to seek his canonization. Thirty years later, Pope John Paul II proclaimed his life to have been one of heroic virtue, thus making him a venerable. And then on November 18, 2017, at Ford Field in Detroit, before 60,000 people, the decree from the Vatican was read out, declaring Father Solanus Casey blessed. There is little doubt that this simplex priest, who never heard a confession or gave a sermon, but who nonetheless affected thousands of souls, will one day be considered saint. Maybe we'll make a pilgrimage to Rome for that occasion to see one so low rise so high. You've been listening to American Catholic History on the StarQuest Production Network. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please help us out by giving us a five-star rating and a good review and support the many productions of SQPN at sqpn.com slash give. To learn more about Blessed Solanus Casey, to find previous episodes, or to learn about our upcoming pilgrimage to the Kentucky Holy Land and Bourbon Country, please visit sqpn.com slash history. We also love feedback and hearing about cool Catholic history sites and stories from all over. You can email us at history at sqpn.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash American Catholic History or Instagram at ACH underscore podcast or follow StarQuest on Twitter at SQPN. I'm Noelle Heaster-Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History on StarQuest.